0: And welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon TCG. In this episode, we're going to be going over the results from the Arlington Regional and the Asia Open. We're going to do a quick meta share study as we usually do. We're going to go back into our player profile. We'll touch briefly on a card spotlight and then we will finish up with a listener question and predictions from the San Diego Regional that's coming up. That's the next one. Hmm. Seems fishy. And with me always is Justin, also known as Pokey Bruce. Yo, what's going on, Bruce? How was your week, man?
1: Oh man, it's it was a good weekend. Um, I did a ton of family holiday stuff, um, so didn't get to play any Pokemon, but I got to um, you know see a bunch of family members, do a bunch of things, go a bunch of places all around Florida to see family members and work members and stuff. and it was good though. It was it was good. How about you, man?
0: Uh, it's been a iffy week. Uh, I had some personal life stuff to take care of, which kind of pushed the show back a little bit, which made me feel bad. Uh, This is now going on week three of not playing any IRL Pokemon, which also feels very, very bad, especially because right after Christmas is San Diego and I will be there. So I should probably start shuffling up some cards pretty soon here. And I think that my team has a little testing group going on this weekend, which might be difficult to fit around Christmas, but I'll definitely do my best to
1: partake in
0: that. But I feel like... It was a pretty good weekend for Pokémon. Did you get to watch any?
1: Yeah, in between um different events and getting ready for places, you know, waiting for the wife to get ready, um getting the baby ready, I had my phone out and watched a few games here and there and uh yeah, it was it was a great weekend for Pokémon. Um especially at Arlington, which ended up being the largest Pokémon uh, regional to date, so it was it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. One of our
0: Discord members and Patreon, Justin not Pokebrews, uh, got to go partake in this event and it sounded like they had a fantastic time. Got to meet a, uh, a lot of personalities and meet new friends and they're local to the area so they got to hang out with uh, a bunch of their Pokemon people as well. But without further ado we'll go ahead and transition into the results and real quick we want to do some house cleaning and uh, talk about a partner of ours.
1: Yeah guys, so this results recap is powered by Ultimate Guard. When it's time to upgrade your TCG storage or just resleeve your favorite deck, be sure to check out Ultimate Guard's premium accessories.
0: Alright, and without further ado, let's talk about the first place deck at the Arlington Regional that had 1,200 Masters. This was won by Connor Fenton, who went 14-0-4, which is astounding, especially at a large event like this, and they played Lugia Archaeops. What can you tell me about this deck, man?
1: Yeah, so Connor went completely, uh, technically undefeated um, for this giant uh, regional. But the biggest thing that I noticed, and I shared it on my Twitter, the moment I saw the deck list get posted, was there's literally no Dunsparce or Manaphy in this list. And those are two things that people, especially Manaphy, have... Um, you know, it's been in almost every single list we've seen since the inception of the Lugia Archeops deck. Um, and the fact that we don't see it here... Plus, no Dunsparce with so many people trying to tech against Lugia is kind of a crazy feat to, um, or crazy, I guess, exclusion of the deck, um, and then to go completely undefeated uh, at this tournament.
0: Yeah, I think that there are definitely a lot of uh, hard decisions to make when you're sleeving up a Lugia 60. Obviously, you want to stay very consistent, keep your uh, Pokemon search very high in the form of 4 Ultra, 4 Quick, 4 Evolution Incense. Streamline the Archeops by running a very, very high count of that just in case you prize 2. You don't want really to only have one to work with in the deck, so you got to make some space in some areas. And after seeing all these paralyzing decks like Articuno and the uh, Zekrom, if you will, They had to fit a Switch card in there somewhere, and they elected to go with Bird Keeper, which is something that was kind of simmering to the top of all of the um, Delugia lists, and it seems very, very consistent. But I love that they stayed the course of using the Double Lumineon to be able to search out the necessary supporters that they need, especially that Bird Keeper, which obviously comes in pretty handy, especially if you're going to go undefeated.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's only a one count of the Bird Keeper. I mean, I'm sure that was plenty in this situation or this uh, this event to kind of get around the um, the paralysis and things like that. Um, I do know that a lot of people have talked about running Eldegoss as well in their deck if they were running the Bird Keeper just so they can continue to loop that back and forth. But I think with the all the paralysis in the previous weekends, I think it wasn't as highly played because people now know it and kind of expected it. So I think getting away with the one Bird Keeper itself was probably fine. But yeah, no, I I definitely love the double Lumineon in there. I mean, you you hear me every cast, we talk about Lugia, preach about the double Lumineon to do, do the loop and everything like that. So I think it's a really good, um, you know, if you're already going to play Lumineons, why not run the Bird Keeper so you can get yourself out of those sticky situations.
0: Right. It just trades so well against Radiant Charizard, Eveltal and Raikou. Um, it preserves your energies because it shuffles itself and the energies back into the deck so i really think that it is a no-brainer to run two of them it just seems incredibly multifaceted the same way that tapu lele was in a different way obviously because it was just a nice card that ran double turbo or double colorless energy back in the day but this deck is sick super consistent love the four capture energy in a deck like this too uh you rarely put yourself in a position where you're lacking any bench sitters or any bench support whatsoever. Uh, but GG's Connor and, you know, watching Connor on stream was really cool too. This is the first time we've seen someone like slam the headphone down and like really get up on stage and be very, very excited about their win. Like we need that kind of electric energy. This is what's going to drag new players into the game is seeing that level of excitement.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was really cool to see. I mean, I can only imagine the the rush playing in this final, but to just know that it's like you just won the the entire event. I can only imagine like that's that was just a natural reaction almost. Like I mean, you if you watch the the video, you see him start moving so fast because he's just like, oh my god, it's happening, it's happening, and it happens, and he just like that explosion of energy. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more that it's, I mean, that was really cool to see all that energy. I mean, and just the the love on Twitter that went around, people, you know, sharing, just like, look at this reaction, this emotion, this is amazing to see. It's like, yeah, I agree. I think everyone should kind of show their excitement. Obviously, do it in a way that's not like rubbing it into your opponent's face, obviously, but like just the fact of like, you know, you saw him give the knucks for like good game and everything before he threw the headphones down and jumped up and it's like, I almost felt like we were going to have another Tord situation from uh, LAIC (laughs) or lost a shoe or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. And actually, one thing I did want to note out that you mentioned the NUX was the lack there of people who knew if they were going to do the handshake or the NUX on stream gosh that is so uncomfortable i think right now this is an announcement for all tcg players just do nux it's respectful to do the handshake but it is so uncomfortable to watch you guys play the rock paper scissors on screen screen (laughs) for me to see if you guys are going to do the handshake or the nux uh but without further ado we will talk about the second place deck and i know that you are a very very big fan of this 60 uh and it's alex Krekler who played Vicavolt v aerodactyl v star um they went 13, 2, and 3. This is like a super heavy meta counter deck, but what else can you tell me about it?
1: Yeah, um, as you mentioned, I'm a huge fan of this deck. I also just like weird decks that seem to run. Um, but yeah, it's so it's a Volt item lock meta counter deck that also runs an Aerodactyl V-Star to hopefully, if you go first, be able to shut your opponent's uh, Lugias off so they can't um, use the Lugias V-Star ability while also running a Ditto V as a backup in case somehow they are able to knock out something, um, you know, early game, while still also running the Drapion, and I mean, this is just like a, a melting pot of counter-attackers, um, item-locking, just craziness. There's so many one-ofs in here, and... It was just really cool to see this deck on stream pilot or piloted by Alex, except for obviously the <laughs> finals where he had some very unfortunate bricks and things were just weren't working out in his favor and with something with this many one ofs it's bound to happen um sucks it happened in the finals, but he made it all the way to a second place finish with something as crazy and you know not uh not expected as this deck,
0: yeah, so. You got your Vikavolt Vs for your Lost Box. You have the one Pokemon Go Galarian Zapdos to make sure that you are taking KOs on Cramorants whilst keeping them at bay with the item lock, of course. Um, You have the Aerodactyl V-Star with the Ancient Star ability to be able to shut off all Pokemon V abilities until that Aerodactyl leaves the field, which is huge, might I add. Um, And then we have the one of Raikou to be able to hit into Lugia for weakness the ditto v to be able to switch into any of your v pokemon from your discard pile which is a lot less maintenance if you're trying to hit with Drapion, right so you put down ditto v one turn you use its v transformation to get back into Drapion, and you're taking two Mew v maxes you know without fail so that's better than a rod in that instance because you need to have the rod plus the quick ball or the pokemon search to get it going but when I'm looking at this deck, you're running so many one-ofs, which obviously played heavily into the poor draws in the finals. And it's not that I'm a hater of this deck. I, just, I have been playing Aerodactyl builds lately that you can fire very consistently, and this one just doesn't seem like it has that texture.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do agree with that. Uh, if you th- With the deck list itself, he does do a good job kind of at turboing it out a little bit. So we see the Luminion, we see the Greninja, so you can discard energies. Um, a four count of Melanie, which works perfectly with that Greninja, you discard a water energy, Melanie right back. So you're effectively seeing five cards while accelerating energy. Um, you've got your scoop up nets do it all over again. You've got Trekking Shoes. Um, the Suing Heavy Ball, and then obviously a big card in here is also going to be that Forest Seal Stone. Um, and I actually played this in a Volt Regilucky deck that I played recently to a um, first place finish in a local event. Um, and it's, I mean, that's really strong in decks that don't really have a, I mean, this deck technically has a V-Star ability or attack with Aerodactyl, but if you're not going to use that, um, might as well attach that to something like the Raikou or the Crobat or the Luminion. Um, and get whatever card you need for that missing piece and we saw it uh, many many times where that card that one of inclusion was what made the deck fire off really i mean he would be missing a melanie and would you know use that to go get the melanie or missing the energy or just that one piece so i think that card is really crucial in this deck and i honestly wouldn't be mad if i saw him like up it to a two count just so you could find that even faster and more consistently too
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I take nothing away from Alex being able to pilot this. I have to assume that Alex missed Reggie's all day because I feel like this has a really bad Reggie matchup. Am I mistaken?
1: So, <laughs> um, I mean, it could if you don't get set up right away, but we actually did see in the top eight match uh, Alex play against a Reggie player and someone who was a well-known Reggie player, um, I forget the name off the top of my head, but with the inclusion of the Z- Galarian Zigzagoon and that Zapdos, um, you're kind of doing perfect math. We saw um, that was actually a really cool game to watch um, because you would see in Paralyzing Bolt, they couldn't use any of their items, do it again for another 60 damage. Well, most of the Reggies have a 130 HP, so he would Paralyze, Paralyze, and then on the third turn, he would Galarian Zigzagoon to knock it out. The, the opponent would have to bring another one up, and he would just start the item lock all over, so he wouldn't um, he was just kind of continually getting knockouts while still adding more damage so it was, i don't know it was just it was really cool to see and he played it well and then also Reggie if you are taking those knockouts um, and not allowing them to use their item cards like they can't uh, ordinary rod or scoop up net or things like that so it really puts a hurting on reggie if you're fast enough to to get set up
0: Right. And with the four cross switcher and the one boss, I would assume you have pretty viable gusting options um, just in and out of the deck. Uh, but it was really sad to see it not pilot to its you know full potential, if you will, in the finals, because it would have been really cool to see how effective a Lugia counter can be. But alas, we are still suppressed by Lugia. But GG's Alex, uh, you played outstanding. Obviously, the results are there, uh, but maybe like run a four count of specific important cards <laughs> yeah. and you if might you can see, fit it in there <laughs> yeah right you might see some different results uh in the notable shout outs i know this is going to sound super duper reminiscent of the last episode that we had but uh frank persick played uh eternitus and galarian wheezing and made it to 33rd and i just i had to rave about this deck man there's no way it's this successful in this format without actually being pretty viable and kind of good I yeah, like this and, deck. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I, no, no, you're good. I was going to say, and actually with this too, um, like we've talked about, that Galarian Weezing is so strong that um, I've heard a lot of people referring to the Eternatus decks more of like a instead of Eternatus with Galarian Weezing, it's more of a Galarian Weezing with Eternatus deck. And honestly, I I think that is probably one of the bigger factors there. But yeah, this deck is just really cool. And it's like we talked about last episode. It's it's a powerhouse that people just aren't really expecting and it's it's starting to make its way up there in all these events
0: right and uh frank kind of took a different turn on this list and played three judge there's a lot of a rangaroo in this format right now so being able to stack your escape rope your necessary switch card the boss you need for the following turn after or before marnieing if you will um Judge kind of eliminates that because you have to shuffle your entire hand into your deck and then both players draw four. So seems like we're kind of in a meta where if you want to stop a Ranguru from being able to set your opponent up for success following turn, play Judge instead of Marnie. But he also plays for Marnie, so I feel like that's just super disruptive (laughs) to their uh, opponent's hand and I really do like it for that reason. But there is no Gust. There is technically two Serena's here, but there's no boss's orders, which feels slightly bad just with my time spent playing glaring wheezing you really do want to be able to choose any pokemon on the field to gust up and not just v pokemon uh before we transition into the next deck i wanted to point out that frank was playing one big parasol so even if the uh what is it the lugia deck got unsuppressed from the uh glaring wheezing they still have outs to not give a free three prizes in the form of eveltal Yep, exactly yep very cool very cool frank uh unfortunately my dream is dead uh but it was very cool (laughs) to see it get that far and speaking of cool decks we're going to talk about eric smith who most people know him as rare candy tcg on youtube they got on stream playing the zorark toolbox what do you like about this list man
1: so, this is one of the matches that I actually got to um, to watch and before, you know, just to spoil the, the final, um, Eric did win that match on stream, but the fact that he won it with the Slowbro for the win was absolutely, like, that was the coolest thing ever. Like, just the, because people kind of are like, oh, is Slowbro good in this? Is Slowbro not? And I think it's a good inclusion, especially in the right scenario. And, I mean, obviously, we saw it win the, win the round for him. Um, but one of the, like, Kind of crazy inclusions that we see in here is uh, a three count of worker um, instead of running a stadium. Zorark is kind of one of those decks that doesn't really need to run a stadium. I mean, if anything, it could probably benefit from like running path just to try to throw your opponent's you know game plan off a little bit if you're playing against Mew or something like that. But you already have such a good matchup in these Dark attackers and things like that. I don't know if it really matters too much. So. Why not bump their stadium while also drawing extra cards? I mean, that's kind of sounds simple, but it's something we haven't really seen before, and it really worked for Eric here.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people were playing Worker in Mew just kind of as a cheesy card because draw threes are never that great, but draw threes and limit benches like Avery is really good. Draw threes and switch with Bird Keeper are really cool. And you just don't need to build that big a hands in a Zorark box. All of your primary attackers are in the discard pile. All you need to do is recycle the Zorark and make sure you're holding energy. And this deck just does just that. So very, very cool. And this deck is drippy. If you look at this thing, everything's yeah. gold. They are missing the full art Serenas, but I understand you don't want to take out a personal loan to make that happen. But at the end of the day, man... Zorark is something to keep on your radar. Um, I have played Zorark in the form of the Wormadam box in the past, and I know it has its hiccups, but I think the inclusion of the new uh, Raichu and the Baraxian, if I'm not mistaken, that does 60 times the amount of Serenas in the discard pile, it's pretty cracked. Like This is a pretty cool list at the end of the day.
1: Oh yeah, I'll definitely be building um, Zorark here soon. It's actually been on my radar for a while, but it's just been kind of on the the back end of the radar, but after we see, you know, after we saw it do so well um, here, I, I'm very interested to actually finally build it and, and play it.
0: Yeah, we just, it's cool because running capture energy obviously makes it super consistent, right? And now we have a lot of good attackers like Appleton, Flapple, Raichu, um, the Hisuian Zorark that just require one energy, if not zero energy, like Mytiana and Hisuian Zorark that only needs so much energy to get an attack off so you don't need to be running capture energy on top of four twin and four double turbo anymore you have a little bit of flexibility so this is very very cool very neat to see it uh, piloted at such a high level and with that being said that concludes our honorable mentions for the arlington regional and we're going to dive into the asia open which was in singapore what was our first place list man
1: Yeah, so our first place list was, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher the name, um, Tan-Yang-Sha-Hang. You you tried to help me, (laughs) Drew, but I still butchered it. So, Yang-Shang
0: is is, is how we uh, pronounce it. So, Tan-Yang-Shang. They played Lhasa and Toolbox and Amazing Rare Rayquaza. (laughs) And before we talk about any of the cool stuff that's in this deck, I did get to watch this individual play on stream. And in their events, they don't have an open known timer. So you basically are in a format where you have to have the most prize cards to win at the end of time. And the announcers for this event, they, they did such a good job. The, t- the timer was at eight seconds. He recycled a bunch of energy into the deck with the, um, what was it, in ordinary rod. Used mirage gate. Cycled it all back onto the Rayquaza, and like the timer is at 2. He attaches, retreats one of his uh, Pokemon in the active, puts Rayquaza up, and hits for like 300 damage, right? And the timer hits 0, so it was like a legit buzzer beater in a game, which was so exciting to watch. Because he had no idea that he was about to win, and they did. So it was just, it pumped me up, man, to see that happen.
1: That's crazy. So they don't have like a, uh, you know, when it goes a time, it goes zero, one, two, three. It's just, that's
0: it. Yeah. Have more prizes or you tie.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> that would fix a lot of tie situations, but at the same time, like that would be so stressful at the end of the day too. Yeah. No,
0: it was crazy to watch, but let's uh, talk about the deck list, man. What do you like?
1: Ah, oh, man, I, as far as the items and everything go, I mean, it's pretty consistent as far as, like, you see your four counts, four counts, three counts, so I like that aspect, especially whenever we're, you know, he's running such a crazy energy count with the Amazing Rayquaza. so it's kind of like a, a spin on, let me throw a bunch of uh, random stuff that might not help my RNG, but with also a lot of consistency, so that that RNG kind of fixes itself a little bit. So um, any deck that runs five energies is usually like stay away from it. But at the same time, like we're seeing this amazing rare Rayquaza deck pop up a little bit, you know, and it's showing that it can, can have consistencies.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. This deck runs four Calriss and three Raihan. So no gusting other than the escape rope. And obviously that is very circumstantial. The whole idea is if you can't reach it in the active, you hit it with Sableye a couple times. And if it is in the active, you can hit it with Raikou, um, the new Snorlax with unfazed fat ability, and the amazing rare Rayquaza, which has a damage cap of 400 damage, which is busted for sure. Uh, like you had mentioned, I love the four counts of the consistency cards running for VIP Pass, for Scoop Up Net, four Mirage Gate three rods which is very very important in a deck like this that's giving up prizes basically every turn but yeah this is definitely a powerhouse and it's something that you should definitely keep on your radar especially if you're expecting a list like this not to hit you for 400 one time
1: yeah yeah the the Raihan's kind of cool especially and it works in a like you said a list like this because you're expecting to get knocked out every turn so why not use that to grab the pieces you need to recycle those energies, to accelerate energies? So, yeah, it's, I mean, it really works. And um, we also have the Cramorants in there, too, as attackers. So, yeah, just you're sitting here chipping away every single turn and eventually getting to the Requas and taking those big knockouts.
0: Yeah, no, very, very cool. And, uh, you know, great job. Six finish for sure. And they played against uh, Kong Yushan who was playing Lugia V-Star, and this list is very, very reminiscent of the list I was playing when I first started it, minus some key components, and I'll point those out right now. So I was not playing 2 Judge in my Lugia list. I don't think anyone was playing any Judge in any Lugia list, for that matter. But they were playing 3 Research, which is very consistent to what I was playing. I wasn't running a Bird Keeper, but there is a 1 of Echoing Horn in this list. I am a huge fan of Echoing Horn in just about any deck right now. But specifically Lugia, because if you're playing against a Mirror, or you're playing against something that runs V Pokemon that you need to take multiple knockouts on, especially if they're like a 1 of Inclusion... Echoing Horn will save you for sure. This is such a cool inclusion. If your opponent's not going to put down the Pumpkaboo that just gave up two prizes or the Dunsparce and the Mana fee that you just knocked out with Stoutland, you can Echoing Horn it back into play and boss it into the active and take another two prizes without wasting your Stoutland, which is such a cool inclusion. I love Echoing Horn in Lugia.
1: Yeah, that was actually my first thought too. Was um, you know when I saw the Echoing Horn, was that's perfect for Statland. It's you, you knock out a one prizer, then take two prizes. Well, and they don't play another one down. Well, there you go. You just put it right back on the bench, and you take another two prizes for game. Um, so I, I really do like Echoing Horn, and I think we're gonna start seeing a lot more Echoing Horn just in decks in general. Um, I've actually I've been expecting that to make a bigger resurgence than it has, and that's why most of my list I always do play an ordinary rod for. That reason just to try to keep those uh you know that someone takes a knockout it's like cool let me put that arceus or that duraludon or that uh Gujar or whatever back my deck so that's not an easy two prize knockout to finish the game later on um but yeah i think with something like this i think it's kind of one of those things that people didn't think about in lugia other than you drew obviously but um but no i i think especially if you're playing the Stoutland, um i think that is a in incredibly strong inclusion because you're turning a two prize or potentially th- you know a one prize into a two prize or even a two prize potentially into a three prize depending on the situation or things like that or just easier you know what way to better close out the game than go bring that up let me boss it up take it out right. with whatever attacker
0: no, I tend to agree. And what I what I really do like about the Echoing Horn is not only does it have crazy offensive capabilities, but it has a lot of disruptive capabilities as well. Against Regis, if you're able to pull the incorrect Reggie from the discard pile and put it onto their bench, forces them to use an extra scoop up net, which they only can run four of, to make sure that they can accelerate energy with uh, the regigigas every turn uh, against the lugias if they decide to discard any of their basic pokemon like stoutlin lumineon or maybe even Pumpkaboo, Dun- dunsparce or Ranguru, just to research to get deeper into their deck to make sure they're streamlining their archaeops you could shorten their bench space by being able to uh horn one of their basics onto the bench so it's just a sur- such a great card in a list like this and i encourage so many people to play it in named Lugia and not named Lugia so really cool list really good cool showing uh you know congrats on your second place finish this was definitely sick
1: yeah I couldn't agree more
0: yeah and we're going to talk about our honorable mention I don't actually have the concrete list from this finish the uh, 24th was Walter uh Hawaii Kite and they played RCSV V-Star Giratina V-Star and Single Strike B Drill. I was practicing this list a lot, and I wanted to play it at Salt Lake City. I couldn't really find a way to make it consistently do the stuff that it needed to do. But what I shared with you is the list that I was practicing, and I want your thoughts.
1: Yeah, no, I um. So whenever Giratina first got announced or came out, um, I was actually playing a pretty similar list to this as well, um, with the B drill, with the Inteleon lines, and thing like that. I think it's got a, a ton of merit. I think um, even with the fact that there's your uh, Island and Inteleon line, with there being so many evolution lines, the issue I was, you know, kind of coming into was um, a little bit of consistency issues. Even though they're, you know, Island and Teleon are supposed to technically help with that and all the searches and scoop up nets, um, I just think it. For me personally, when I was testing it, it got a little. Um, and I, you and I talked about this back whenever I was testing this. I just felt like it got a little clunky in my, my few games of testing um, for that meta at the time. But in this meta, I think it might be able to do really well, especially the fact that Beedrill um, can really help you in those Lugia matchups. Um, and this is all a very uh, matchup-dependent deck. You play it different ways for different matchups. So obviously, if you're going in towards a Lugia you probably only want to play your Arceus and your um, Inteleon line just to maximize your chance to get the Beedrill out. And if you're going into something like a Palkia or something that um, has a larger HP, you want to go in with your Giratina so you can be able to um, take those big knockouts and things like that. So I do think it's all... um, You play this in different ways and for different matchups.
0: Right, and I think that's what's cool is that the Shady Dealings line gives you the freedom to run the deck as... Arceus Inteleon Beedrill or just as Arceus Inteleon or as Arceus Giratina to be able to hit those big 280 or 310 knockouts uh, however you see fit. The Mustard being able to streamline the Beedrill in is very very easy to pull off with combinations of things like Ultra Ball, uh, grabbing that out with Shady Dealings to be able to limit your hand size and so on and so forth is just a really cool combo and it's got so many waves of attacks that I really do respect so seeing it go five and three in an event like this just gives me a little bit of hope that uh something arceus giratina beedrill
1: flavored could be successful in the future exactly i'm actually surprised we haven't seen more arc intel with beedrill uh, pop up honestly
0: yeah for sure and then next we're going to dive into our metashare study this metashare study is brought to you by inked gaming ink gaming has a wide variety of custom playmats, dice bags Face masks, sleeves, dice, and deck boxes, and when you use the code PCSPOD10 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order. But without further ado, what I have to show you is the top 16s from both the Arlington and, well, the Arlington Regional, and the Asia Open. Is Lugia evolving slightly? Are there too many counters falling to the wayside when it comes to trying to beat the best deck, which is Lugia? And is Lugia just a safe pick going forward, or is it about to get hard countered by stuff that we haven't seen quite yet?
1: So, um, obviously we've seen Lugia evolve a little bit, um, not too much, but enough to deal with some of these kind of cheeky um, counters that we've been seeing, um, and people are still coming up with new ways to counter it. You kind of, they, they prep for one counter and then another one like Alex Kreckler's list pop up and counters... It's a new counter, but um, I think with people actively trying to find these Lugia counters, the Lugia players themselves are going to kind of start building their decks to have a little bit more answers to things. Whereas in early days of Lugia Archeops, um, we saw just very aggro, no switch, I'm just going to swing big numbers and that's how I'm going to play the game. Well, now people are realizing like, oh, it it is... I mean, I'll say it. it's it's BDIF, and people who don't like to play the BDIF are going to try to counter me, so maybe I shouldn't go crazy aggro, I should go aggro, but throw a little safeguard things in there to help in certain matchups. So um, I definitely think that Lugia is evolving. Um, I do think things are still going to keep coming out of the woodworks that are going to catch a bunch of Lugia players off guard that maybe didn't tech as much as they should have for them. Um But I think that it's still going to be BDIF, and we're still going to see a lot of it. But I think we're starting to get into a meta where we can see other things start doing well um, as well. You know that things can can be there. Great players can pilot other decks to very well or very good finishes, but Lugia is still going to be extremely strong and take a lot of these top spots. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I, I tend to agree. I think that there is definitely some opportunity for other decks to come back out of the wet work. Obviously, it comes in waves. So, what was it? The first regional, was it LAIC? Was yep. all, all Lugia. The next three regionals, eh, there was Lugia, but it didn't win everything. And now we're kind of steering back into the format where Lugia is taking up 50%, if not more, of the day two meta share, and i personally think it's people's unwillingness to venture out from what is strong you'll see there's a handful of players like uh, azul and uh, rahul ready and stuff like that who are still playing other decks that are not lugia flavored and it might be because they're well versed in it or it might just be because it's consistent and they want to try their hand at being you know, successful with stuff like that. Obviously, Azul's put a lot of work into this lost Kyogre box, so it might have been the safe pick for them. But you'll see Andrew Mahone, Riley Holbert, Liam Halliburton. They, they all jump ship to the Lugia train after playing Mew and playing Palkia and so on and so forth. And they obviously have more success because this is the first time we've seen um, I think Azul and Riley in top 16, but it it just seems like the safe pick. Like if you want to be powerful, if you want to have outs, you want to play Echoing Horn, you can play Lugia. And it just seems like they're, you're either taking the brave step of not playing it or just wanting to get those points and just being consistent in playing something like Lugia, changing maybe two cards from the specific 60 that you were interested in when you started testing. But I think in the future we'll see some shifting for sure, because like I had mentioned before, it comes in waves. Uh, but right now it does seem pretty suppressive of Lugia. I still love this format. You know, I didn't think that Eternatus would be up in anything resembling a Day 2 or Top Cut scenario. But it's it's a really cool format that we're in, but right now it just seems a little stifled by Lugia.
1: That and then you also, especially with these top players, um, for the most part, a lot of them uh, I wouldn't even say like going back to her jumping ship and going to Lugia. I think a lot of them at the same time um, they're switching it up, right? So, part of being a professional player and going to every event is um, we've talked about it before is kind of that element of surprise factor um, can have a can take you a very far way, and if you've played Lugia at the last two events, or, sorry, if you've played, like, Mew VMAX at the last two events, and you go to the next one, well, someone might go, oh, hey, this guy has done pretty well with Mew at the last few events, he's probably playing Mew, and you see him flip over a Lugia, you're like, oh, shit, like, that's not what I, you know, sorry, i my language, but it's like, that's not what I thought, like, so, so changing it up kind of throws in a little bit element of surprise, um, as well as also, I know a lot of these pro players, they're practicing so much on the side as well, too, that I could see if you're only playing something like Mew or only playing Reggie's event after event and practicing in between events, just game after game, it might get a little boring um, because you've been playing that same 60 or relevant 50 cards and changing out maybe 10 cards. So to change it up a little bit here and there, one, it probably keeps it a little fun for them. Um, but two, I, I really do think that element of surprise factor is, is a big factor as well why we see these um players switching over to lugia this time around
0: absolutely and you know there's no discredit to these players whatsoever like i i don't i by no means think that there is skill taken out of the game when you switch over to something like lugia or if you're switching from something considered rogue to mu v max like that's not the point i'm trying to make here it just seems like if you yeah. want points if you want to have a, a great top cut finish you can play lugia and get you there It just depends on the matchups you get and how well-versed you are in the deck. So we'll definitely have to wait and see how San Diego shakes out, but it does seem like if you want to play well and you want to do well and you want to get points, you got to play Lugia. Uh, (laughs) But with with that being said, we're going to dive back into the long-awaited player profile. And this week, we're going to talk about Stefan Ivanov. He is a player from France, and I have titled him the King of Columbus because in 2018 and 2019, they won back-to-back NIAC, NAIC, words are hard, uh, North American International Championship titles, and a second-place finish in 2019 at OCIC, so that is outstanding for any player to be able to do that. They weren't able to defend their title last year because they did get COVID, and that allowed AzulGG to take the reins on that tournament. Uh, No discredit to Azul in any manner whatsoever, but it would have been really cool to see Stefan uh, defend themselves there. And in terms of regional finishes, they've had eight top eight or better finishes. So very, very uh, successful player. I only have records back from like 2014, but it seems like they're always up in the mix when it comes to day two or top cut scenarios. And that's very, very cool. They have about 45 K in recorded cash earnings and, Doing that, just playing Pokemon cards, seems pretty cool. Do you have any opinions on Stefan, my friend?
1: Uh, honestly, just the fact that he's a really well-rounded player. Um, I've listened to different interviews that people have had with him, and he's just very well-spoken. Um, very, I mean, seems very, very intelligent. Um, and he just sounds like he's in the game for the fun of it. Honestly, like as well as being a top player. But just, just from what he posts and the th- like I said, the things I've heard is. He truly loves this game and it's really cool to see someone like that do so well in in you know in their uh, career.
0: Yeah, no, I tend to agree. They're an incredibly well-rounded player as well. Um the deck diversity that this dude dives into is pretty wide. When you look at the limitless page, it's like, okay, every other event is a different deck. Obviously, there's some consistencies because formats tend to need that like staple deck or if you have a pet deck during a specific format it makes sense to just continue playing what you think you're uh you're good and successful with uh there was one season uh, in 2020 they played blounds way too much and i am not a fan of blounds whatsoever uh (laughs) but Uh, They recently took second at the special event in Bilbo with Arc Duraladon, which, you know, I'm automatically a fan of that player if they're going to play successfully with a deck that I love. Uh, And then they won the France Regional uh, in Lille in 2022 with the Liminal Shady Dealings deck. This is the one that ran the uh, Baby Moltres and the Galarian Zapdos V. Uh, Basically a weakness box. It was great for the Brilliant Stars format. Um, But yeah, dude, super successful, super crazy to watch this dude play. I remember uh my first like recollection recollection words are hard i am so sorry everybody um mm-hmm. of stefan i wanted to learn how to play gardevoir still be on tag team uh stumbled across some vods on youtube uh and he was showcasing that their uh, sixth place list from Cologne, uh germany and they were playing like the greens variant you basically hit with the guard or sylveon accelerate some energy into play hit for 150 move your other energies around to your other pokemon and then you clean up with the xerneas gx that moves all the damage counters off of all your pokemon to your opponent's active and from then i was like yeah i can make this deck work but how do i play it with welder and that was just me being bad at like pokemon back in the day but it was super duper cool to see how like they haven't necessarily evolved but i've consistently learned how to play from players like Stefan and they're still competing till this day. So if you want to check out anything that Stefan's doing, they're on Twitch, and I'm totally gonna mess this name up, but it's like L-U-B-Y-L-L-U-L-E. It looks like it says Lubby Lul, and I really can't like put my finger on how it's pronounced. Uh, he is a French player, so it is a little hard to understand if you are an English speaker like me, but Pokemon is all one and the same and you can just watch gameplay and you basically get to understand how the cards interact. Uh, They're on YouTube as well at LubbyZero and Twitter as L-U-B-Y-L-L-U-L-E. Lubby Lule if you will. (laughs) Yeah that's super cool. Uh, But yeah that is our player profile. Make sure you check out Stefan. Very well recognized player. Very well respected too and he's very frequently on stream so I'm sure you'll be hearing more from Stefan. And then we're going to dive into our card spotlight. Uh, the card spotlight this week is sponsored by Darth Gloom Productions. DG Productions is a West Coast-based tournament organizing group that can run and officiate your tabletop events, including the Pokemon TCG. So be sure to check out Darth Gloom on Instagram and Twitter. What card are we talking about this week, Justin?
1: Um, so we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the all-new and very strong Forest Seal Stone item card. Um, This is an item card that can be attached to a V Pokemon, um, and it gives it the V-Star ability of Star Alchemy, which says, during your turn you may search your deck for a card and put it into your hand, then shuffle your deck. Um, So, this is pretty much a budget RCS V-Star ability, but incredibly strong, especially in decks that run Vs that don't have those V-Star abilities. Um, So, it just allows you to find whatever you need, that missing part. Um, I'm a huge fan of this card. Like I said, I ran it in a Vika Volt lucky deck recently. Um, I just think having that ability is so strong to grab whatever you need. And the biggest, the craziest thing when this card came out, and it was all over everywhere that talks about competitive TCG, is the fact that this is not turned off by Path to the Peak, because it's technically not an ability on your Pokemon. It just gives that Pokemon the ability to use that but as an item. So crazy. Right. Isn't it
0: crazy? Um, I, I really do like this card. Uh, there is some stipulations with this card, though. It does need to be a Pokemon V. If you attach it to a V-Star or V V-Max, unfortunately, you cannot use Forest Seal Stone, which is uh, kind of a weak caveat, if you will. But at the end of the day, you place down Crobat V. You're one card shy of the combo that you need to pull off whatever you need that turn for a seal stone as an attachment to crobat v we'll be able to grab you that seventh card and you know swing for the fences if you need to it's a very very good consistency card it does run about 350 as a hollow trainer which is kind of expensive but it's a v-star power at the end of the day so it does definitely merit a little bit of respect in terms of um, money, so <laughs> make sure you're grabbing at least four of these for the future. Uh, it is F f-stamped so we are going to have this around for a while. And there's going to be quite a few V Pokemon that stick around that you're able to use this very effectively on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um uh, just real quick, are you sure that it's only V? Because I know with like things when cards say uh, Pokemon V, it's kind of usually all inclusive. To so here's what I've V-star. been running into.
0: Um, I use this in my deck. And I'm not going to disclose too much information. And my deck has VMAX Pokemon in it. And without Path of the Peak and Play, without being suppressed by Weezing, I can't use Forest Seal Stone.
1: Interesting. And I haven't used yeah. my
0: V-Star power because I don't have a V-Star Pokemon in my deck.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that might be something for us to look up and you know maybe post to the Discord once we get a clair- if we get a clarification. But yeah, because um, that, that definitely does change a little bit on it. But either way, um, if you're running a V-Star or VMAX, you're probably running the v's to, to put in there so it can still work either way
0: no for sure and you are talking to a guy who hasn't played in three weeks and has only played on ptcgo and i typically use ptcgo as a good rule of thumb as to uh what works irl so but you know i could very well be wrong but it does appear that on the text of the card that it would need to be a pokemon v um and I understand that in most scenarios, like Melanie and Arceus, like all V-Pokémon max, V-Star, or V are considered V-Pokémon. But, you know, the Forest Stone not being able to work in those scenarios, it does give me some inclination to think that it doesn't work. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I, I, couldn't, I, I agree, especially with the wording. We can uh, definitely check that out and update people later on as well, too. Yeah, for sure.
0: And then with that, we're going to dive into the news. There's no news. And after that, we are going to dive into the listener question. Why don't you go let everybody know what the question is this week, Justin?
1: Yeah, so um, this is from Oscar in the Discord. Um, He asked us, is asking your opponent to speed up their turn considered rude at a regionals? Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you start with this, Drew. I kind of answered in the Discord, and I'll, I'm going to read that off in a minute. But yeah, what, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I I
0: don't think it's rude. If someone asked me to play faster, I clearly need to play faster. And it's not because I'm taking up time to try to slow the game down, but there are specific scenarios where you want to win a best of three. And in a best of three, sometimes 50 minutes is not enough. So being able to... Make sure both players are able to play the game efficiently. Being able to ask the other po- person, hopefully in a nice and friendly tone, um, to speed up their play mildly so that you can finish the game, um, I don't believe is considered rude whatsoever. It definitely does suck a little bit of the friendly air out of the conversation, especially if your opponent is losing or if you're, uh, you know, just didn't have good interactions starting off the round. It definitely makes it a little less of a friendly atmosphere, but at the at the end of the day, you are competitors. So doing that for the benefit of you and your opponent, it doesn't ne- negatively affect the way that your day is going to turn out.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's I, I do fully agree with that. It's the the best way to do it is ask um, nicely. Obviously, it even asking nicely sometimes can be very awkward. Um, it's not rude at all by any means. um, There can be ways where asking can be rude as well. And I'll kind of give off a couple situations because I've been in multiple situations um, with asking people to speed up as well as being asked to speed up um, in different situations. So um, obviously the biggest one is if someone truly genuinely is taking um, considerably longer than um, needed to play their turn, say they're Searching their deck, they're fanning out each card individually, taking their time. Things like that. It's kind of like, hey, can you speed up? Because, like, and obviously, like I said again in a friendly manner, um, ask them to speed up. Go, hey, look, we are in a time limit. This is something I. If we go to game three, I don't want it to end in a tie. Um, so there's there's that method. Sometimes people are thinking so hard they don't understand or don't or not don't understand, but they don't realize that they're taking as long as they really are. And sometimes by asking friendly, it kind of goes, oh, sorry, like, I, I didn't realize I was taking as long as I was, and they speed up and go on like nothing happened. Then you have another situation where um, someone is intentionally drawing out the game. Um, say you won game one, and you bricked really hard, and you lost game two like really quickly, and it goes to game three, and that person knows, and there's the setup situation, like, I'm not going to win. Say you're in an advantageous situation and the person's like purposely like, Oh, okay. Those first two games took so long that if I draw this out instead of losing, I can get one tie point. And again, you kind of have to go with like actual speed, but you can ask them to speed up. And if they're intentionally slowing down, um, there's been situations where I've had to call a judge and you know, I've asked them, they continue to slow play and I've had to call a judge and the judge will watch and actually watch their pace of play and the judge therefore then can determine if that person is slow paying or not a lot of times once the judge comes over usually the person ends up speeding up and stuff like that which it's kind of like you don't want the it's like you feel bad about having to call the judge over anyways but like then the fact that they're trying to get away with not slow playing when they were either way it kind of speeds up the situation for you and then the, the and this situation was a very specific one for me um I've had someone ask me to speed up my pace of play, where they were actually doing it in a in a way to distract me, um, and I only got this because of the fact that during my turn they were loudly flicking their cards. Which most of the time that doesn't like really bother me, but this was like excessively loud. And while I'm in the middle of like searching my deck, they're asking me to speed up, and I'm just like, and finally I go, um, I believe I'm playing at a uh, Uh, I forget exactly what I said, but I was like, I believe I'm playing at an, uh, okay pace. If you don't feel, if you don't agree, please feel free to call the judge over so they can watch my speed of play. And this was after like the third or fourth time they've asked me to speed up, but didn't call a judge over. And like I said, and that's where I kind of got like, okay, maybe they're trying to just distract me. And after that, they didn't ask again. And of course the judge never came over. Um, so there are situations, most of the time it's going to be more of the friendly, um, aspect but there are sometimes unfortunately going to be the malicious incidences but i don't think especially if it's in a true scenario of you if your opponent's taking too long and you're worried about a tie situation you just go hey man um you know i I don't want to be that guy but can you speed up a little bit i'm worried about us tying or something like that then i think it's perfectly fine and not rude whatsoever
0: right and to add to that note you have to take into consideration your atmosphere right at locals, if you're playing for you know four packs or you know anything less than like an ETB, it's probably not necessary to ask your opponent to speed up. The, most locals and testing groups and stuff like that—that's your area to learn how to play your deck, so that when you do go play at a regional level event, you know you're sixty inside and out, and you understand um, the, the tendencies that your deck have, and you're well more you're more well versed in that specific sixty. You know, at a local, I would never ask someone to speed up if it wasn't absolutely going to help me get through the night. You know, I do have some teammates and some people I love playing with who both of us can benefit from that interaction of asking one another to speed up. And in those specific instances, that may very well happen. But if I'm playing against a new player or someone who just picked up a specific 60 that they're not very well rounded in, I'm not super comfortable in the idea of asking them to speed up, putting any unnecessary pressure on them if it means that I'm going to walk away with four packs from a local tournament. Like, that just seems super irrational. But then on the reverse side of that, if you're playing at a regional, you have to expect your opponent knows that a deck that they want to compete for actual cash prizing in to play at a you know competitive rate of, pl- of play. I think that they need to have a reasonable amount of time to deck search but they also need to give you a reasonable amount of time to maneuver around your 60 as well so obviously the first step is to be respectable or respectful is the word i'm looking for here and you know just approach any of those confrontations in a very friendly uh, and you know open and easy to talk to manner like saying listen up play faster or i'm calling a judge doesn't necessarily have the tone that would really create that atmosphere that you want to compete in. Uh, it just kind of red flags the whole situation for me, and I think that you definitely need to take in consideration your atmosphere you're in before you make those types of calls.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. As far as locals, you know, you know, most of the time they're best of ones anyways, so you have plenty of time. But yeah, I, in those situations, and I've, I don't think I've ever once had a locals ask to speed up, unless it's like one of my, literally my testing mates that I'm just like, we're, we're playing for fun anyways. And I just joke with him like, Hey man, uh, speed up a little bit, you know, and that's, and he, they laugh usually and stuff like that. But yeah, this, the, my situations I was talking about specifically were all like case tournaments or, um, a regional pre pandemic and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, but yeah, locals, I definitely think is a lot more casual aspect. Right, and
0: I only had to put that disclaimer out there because I don't want, you know, our listeners going to their locals and <laughs> staring across the table from like screaming a, at people from like up. a from like a twelve-year-old kid is like, yeah, it's well within my means. Speed up! <laughs> 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 it's like I've never played Mew before. <laughs> I'm timing you, kid. Yeah, exactly. Chess timers all day. Uh, with that being said we get to go into you know the the segment that you and I are easily the best at. And actually you did have a pretty solid prediction uh for our Ar- Arlington if you will. And uh yeah, so we're going to predict what do you think's going to win
1: the San Diego Regionals, buddy? Um so since I guessed Lugia last time and a second guess of Mew, um I'm going to go with Mew this time since uh Lugia did win this last regional, so I think it's about time for someone to pop off with Mew and it to make its appearance um, and the top position, even though there's going to be a lot of Lugia again. Yeah. All right.
0: So I'm going to very confidently say uh, something, something wheezing is going to win San Diego regionals. Not a horrible guess either. Honestly, we're seeing that wheezing everywhere. You'll at least see one of them. Uh, And then with that being said, uh, make sure you hit up the show. Uh, find us at twitter at pcs underscore pod we'd love to hear from you you know definitely write in your questions concerns any feedback on the pod we'd love to hear it and Justin go ahead and plug the show buddy
1: yeah if you guys want to find me I'm uh, Brews on Instagram that's my most active platform currently and if you want to find me on twitter I'm TCG. there you can find my Linktree tree links um, for things such as my TCG player affiliate link you guys do any shopping there, I would much appreciate if you check that out. Just click through there. It costs you nothing extra and helps support Drew and I. Um, and then I am hooked up by Swift Lifestyles Energy Drink as well. If you guys want to try an awesome clean energy drink for gaming, um, use code Pokebrews for 15% off. And uh, it's on to you, Drew. All right.
0: Um, make sure you're checking out Ultimate Guard uh, for all your TCG accessory needs. Make sure you're also checking out InkedGaming.com for all of your custom TCG accessories so make sure you're using the code pcs pod 10 for 10 percent off your entire order and with that being said make sure you're also checking out darth gloom productions for all of your tabletop organizing and event running needs uh, my personal plugs are going to be uh, finding me at youtube and twitter at katana tcg that is one and the same And then make sure you're checking out the Patreon for the podcast at patreon.com slash PCS podcast and you get entries for the monthly giveaway, which this month is a whole booster box, which we will be actually announcing the winner tonight, which is very, very cool. And you also get entrance to the PCS locals, which is also tonight. And we'll be talking about the results of that tournament next podcast. And if you want to buy any of our merchandise make sure you're checking out bonfire.com slash store slash pcs pod for any of your pcs logoed merchandise uh with that being said we're gonna go ahead and dive out of this episode and happy holidays everybody
1: happy holidays